0: Oh, in a week where one rain ended, the footed dictionary is just continuing its rise to world domination this week because we are back and we're gonna analyse the language of football like no other podcast, no other media outlet dares to. I'm Harper Pestinger. And with me, as always, is Ham Show Brian Hamish. Question for you, straight off the bat. Yep. As things stand right now, five days after Queen Elizabeth's death, are the Royals rebuilding? Uh, I don't
1: think so yet they're they're not quite in the rebuild phase. they're probably still mourning the loss and I think they've got a bit they've got a bit to overcome before they can even think about a rebuild yet maybe maybe uh get rid of Prince Andrew would be a start and him for a third round pick.
0: <laughs> now we've actually got a second well, the second third panel, I don't know what we're calling, it but we've got another member on the team today, another member on the panel uh Gerald Lynch, Gerald, welcome to the show, mate. How are you? Thanks for having me, Harper. I'm pretty good this morning.
2: For me, I don't think they're ready to go into a rebuild. You know, they've got some mature-age players around that group, Prince Andrew and such, so I think they'll be fine. Maybe a couple of uh, young people to come in and, and rebuild that list, but they're, they're almost ready to go.
0: Mm, little Charlotte and their, their little tackers look like promising prospects, indeed. Some talent around, mm. for sure. And <laughs> An early clip for you. Gerald. Uh, this is from Footy Classified, uh, Craig Hutchison. Here it is. I, I think that's
1: a little unfair. It's, it's a very um, difficult and sensitive cultural issue. It was an unexpected Easily passing fixed. and it was a lot going Easily on in a fixed. short period of time to try and work through.
0: Now that's Caroline Wilson and Craig Hutchison talking about uh, the <laughs> minute silence and the Indigenous round for AFLW on Footy Classified. Gerald, was the Queen's passing unexpected? Well, I'm not
2: sure if a death is ever absolutely expected, but if you've seen the state of her probably the last few months, it it was never far away, but I don't think it's fair to blame the AFL for not
1: being prepared, I suppose. It's funny. I I had a chat with my uh, dad that morning. I I texted him straight away, and I I said to him, oh, she's never been out in the 90s, and he replied with uh, life cut tragically short. So maybe there's a few of us around that uh, (laughs) think it's... uh, Unexpected,
0: but I'd say the large majority, probably not. Not sure about that one, Hutchie, but I think we should get into the footy side of things now and all the finals been kicking off with the national anthem uh, and God Save the Queen as well, so a couple different national anthems. But here's the Australian national anthem that was performed by Delta Goodrum Hamish on Friday night, Melbourne versus Brisbane. Tell me what you think of this. The amazing Delta Goodrum. No doubt, very good vocal performance, but not mm, particularly moving. rousing rendition, I would say. Hamish, well, is that the type of national anthem you want to be performed on the final stage, on the big stage in September?
1: Uh, I liked it for a change, but I don't, I don't want it on the grand final. I thought I was actually at the grand, I thought it was a, a nice rendition. I thought it was something a little bit different. She she performed it nicely, but for the for the granny, I like where it's. You know, it's got the instrumental, and it finishes off with the and and then you get the big crowd roll. I think the acoustic versions of the anthem just don't quite have the same same vigor to it. But um, I did like it for a little change. I don't know. I think there was a bit of me,
2: me, me about that from Delta Goodrum, trying to put in Agreed. a really strong musical performance. I think the Australian Anthem at an AFL final is a bit like a Palmer. Like you just, it's pretty hard to stuff up. Just get the song in, get the lyrics out, get the crowd excited. And I think she did everything but that. So no hate to Delta, but at the same time, know your role singing the anthem. It's not all about you. It's, uh, it's about the football. Mm. Fair.
0: Big stage. I think you need a big, strong performance. That was that. It was a good performance. Like she did what she was trying to do, executed very well. But that's not the type of performance you want executed for me. And just on national anthems, actually, this was from the Golden Rivers Football Netball League the Grand Final, Nulla versus Mullamain. uh yeah. The, not so much, not much to talk about here. But thought I'd play it. We'd like that everybody to
2: be upstanding for the national anthem.
0: Oh, uh, that's got everything you want in you know, a country footy clip there. The slightly off, outdated lyrics in the Australian National Anthem, the wrong National Anthem playing, people on the ground. It's all a bit disorganised, a bit of a shot of the shed taking up half the screen. That's a disgrace. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, that, that's, that's part of the charm, don't you think?
1: Uh, not the colour of the song, but everything else <laughs> I, can, I can agree with. Trauma.
0: <laughs> anyway, we'll move on to... Uh, Well, not on-field matters quite yet, but final specific matters. AFL final specific matters. Now, I've actually got a copy of the Herald Sun here. You can hear the newspaper uh, shuffling around here. This is from the Herald Sun on the 9th of September, Friday night. This is from Lauren Wood, an article about Christian Petrarca being right to go for that Friday night final. First paragraph. Melbourne says Christian Petrarca won't need any pain management to get through its must-win semi-final against Brisbane. Okay. Hamish, we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. No, is your opinion the same?
1: Oh, my opinion's definitely the same. They can't, they can't keep running with it. Um, I don't know, Gerald. You're new to the show, so I'd like your take on this one. But surely they can't use must-win. No, I, I feel
2: the same. I think, unless maybe a qualifying final week one. You want to win it, but it's not must win. But I mean, a final—that's you're getting knocked out if you lose. It's pretty self-explanatory, unless you don't want to win a flag. Exactly right. It's sort of like when a when a club says that they they're aiming to win flags. It's like,
1: okay, <laughs> I think everybody's <laughs> trying to do that. I think I think we're in wholehearted agreement that so they they can't use that.
0: Yeah, uh, yep. for us too. It's definitely open and shut case. I think uh, past round twenty three. There's no must-win games. Like, well, there are must-win games, but you can't call them must-win. It's just forbidden, I think. She should be locked up, Lauren Wood. Hope you're listening. (laughs) Uh, But (laughs) also from the Herald Sun, on that very same day as I pick up the page, this is on page 82 of the Herald Sun on Friday the 9th of September 2022. Uh, It's leading footy analyst, the Herald Sun calls him, Mick McGuan. Uh, talking about Stephen May and he calls him the defensive traffic cop. Gerald, defensive traffic cop. What do you make of that? I haven't heard that before. Well, do you like that description of Stephen May?
2: That's a new one for me. Look, I don't mind Mick McGuan and I think at least he's trying to spice it up a little bit. Maybe an otherwise sort of mundane article, but it doesn't. What does that really mean? I, I, I don't know. Maybe Hamish can understand
1: that one a little better. I like it. I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Just quietly. I think. When I think about Stephen May, I think he was like a a rugged, really. You know, he's had a lot of. He gets in a lot of yelling arguments. Like, you can see him pointing fingers and, like, yelling at his teammates. And if someone said to me that someone's called Stephen May a, a defensive traffic cop, I'd, I'd don't even blink an eye at that. I think that's fantastic.
0: Play on. So, well, defensive traffic cop, I was kind of thinking about like he doesn't let people through but you're raising this idea of being a bit argumentative and rambunctious a no. bit boisterous is that what you're thinking
1: I think he's I think he's being loud and pointing fingers and directing traffic like a a good general defender should
0: oh, okay so who who's another defensive traffic cop going about their business in the league
1: uh well, obviously one for me is waiters um maybe who else is big And a general defender I'm trying to think Maybe Matthew Scarlett Would be a good one But obviously He's retired um, There's a few going around I'm just, just Trying to think That's got me stumped That's got me absolutely stumped I don't know
2: Stephen Mays That big figure I don't really think uh Maybe an Alex Keith type When he's playing good footy He's got that same sort of like You know Big body about him And Yeah a Scary figure
1: mm-hmm.
2: Is he loud though?
0: I get the feeling that he's like a,
1: mm. a albino. Would really be barking
0: really. orders. You're right. Nah. What, what about um? Maybe not defensive, but Brendan Goddard is a traffic cop. He was a real finger pointing yeah, operator. Yeah. Uh,
1: get the pretzels out of his way. Yeah. That's that, that's a great that's a great comparison.
0: Mm. Uh, maybe not a defender, but
1: certainly a, a traffic cop.
0: Mm. That's yeah. for sure. The, the half-back traffic cop, maybe, type thing. But mm. another, another clip, this is from uh, Triple M, their commentary of Melbourne versus Brisbane. So this is nearing the end of the third quarter, about a minutes ago, a bit under. Lions are two goals down, and they have got a shot at goal.
2: Oh, it's going to Darcy Fort. So here's, here's an opportunity, Duke, for a ruckman to go back and kick a team-lifting goal, and they need this. After a couple of quick goals to
1: the Ds, they had things going their way, Brisbane. Eight Melbourne goals. have answered. A career set shot, 11 straight. Fifteen Big Fordo. No. He won't let you down, Howie. Big Forto no, from 45. That doesn't count out the full so. The man yeah. from South <laughs> Eight goals won this season, but 11 straight on set shots. D4 to bring it back to a one-goal game from directly in front. Yes. <laughs> 8,
0: 11, 59 to Brisbane 8853 das Ham Show Brian Ruckman are absolutely not up in arms Mark Howard's got this completely wrong. I, I don't I think it's just a a slip of the tongues
1: as we uh, discussed <laughs> last week. But uh, no, I think it's just a slip of the tongue from Howie, but it's a shocker. Um, oh, oh, well last time I checked. Ruckman, they stick together. They're big dopey, but they they love each other. And when one does something good, they all get around it. So surely Ruckman across the country aren't up in arms about the big Darcy Fort kicking a goal on the big stage on Friday night. Uh, Howie, I'd say he's got to be better.
0: I, I don't think it's a slip of a tunnel. I think it's just mixed up his cliche. And because you like, if your arms are up in the air, you're kind of pumping your fists. Like, you, that makes sense up in arms, but it's not what you'd call it, right? It's a bit ambiguous. Like, if your arm's are up in the air, you could be celebrating or you could be, like, <laughs> protesting wildly. Mm.
1: Yeah, you're probably right. He's probably just uh, mixed them up.
0: Well, to be honest, I'm actually
2: going to fly to Howie's defence here because he gets slipped a note that says he's kicked 11 straight, goes on and kicks his 12th straight set shot for the year. And typically, if you... No Ruckmans, they can't kick for goal at all. And I think he's almost saying Darcy Fort is going against the Ruckmans and they're up in arms about it. They're not happy because what are you doing ah. kicking goals as a Ruckman? That's
0: how I saw it. No, but don't, don't you think there's the Ruckmans club, like the, uh, the Ruckmans society who are all um, like mates and want each other to be good?
2: Look, as someone that's a humble 6-1 Harper, I don't, I'm not inside the four walls of the Ruckman Society, so I, I can't answer that question fully, but uh, I don't know. That's just how I saw it. Maybe, maybe he did mean that they were getting excited for him, but
0: look, look, can't really say. I think either way, he's left it very, like, if you listen, listen to that out of mm. context, it's ambiguous, and you don't want that in Up For
1: interpretation, for sure.
0: Mm, for sure.
1: We'll, we'll have to ask Will Ruckman, I think, to uh, get his
0: opinion on it and see whether he's
1: uh, dismayed by it or happy for the
0: man. <laughs> or if Mark Howard wants to come onto the show, he can explain himself because, yeah, he has left it very much open to interpretation. But also from uh, Melbourne versus Brisbane, of course, Charlie Cameron kicked a goal from uh, right right near their point post uh, from the boundary set shot. And uh, the AFL posted a little highlight of it, uh, AFL Media, afl.com.au, with the headline, Charlie lifts roof off the G with classy curler Gerald. Can you lift the roof off the MCG? Uh, Well, there's no roof on the MCG, Harper, and
2: especially... With sixty thousand in the house, maybe under eight to ten thousand Brisbane supporters, were they even making enough noise to blow off the proverbial roof? I wouldn't have thought so. Maybe if it's at Marvel, I understand that call, but it's a, it's an old it's an old
1: cliche that I'm personally not a big fan of. Ah, uh, so I feel like it's a very triple M thing. Um, I feel like I've heard this very conversation about five times where. Where JB or BT have gone up for a goal and they've said the the roof's lifted off the G and then like some commentator in the in the second row has come on and corrected them and said, But there's no roof on the G. So I don't know, I I get what they're trying to say, but you're right. Probably with 60k. I think I like Gerald's point. You can't call it when there's only 10,000 Brisbane fans there.
0: Oh, personally, at that point of the game, uh, I think the margin was uh 8 points or two he made 8 points or made 14 points something like that i think in a close game like that although it doesn't make literal sense i think everyone knows what it means and i'm i'm all for it because it's a final big stage big game uh the crowd well, it wasn't small um but like if it was in a paddock In, in uh, Talangata or something uh, You're not lifting the roof off that ground I In any circumstances It's got to have some kind of grandstand For the roof to be lifted off
1: Don't you under, underestimate the, uh, the atmosphere at Rowland Park <laughs> On a Saturday afternoon
0: <laughs> no, we, Does it have Seating with a roof over
1: it? Uh, no roof But there's a bit of bench seating around the grounds Bench seating, um, yeah I'm I'm Not lifting the roof off that Nah, Car
0: again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think it's a, um definitely an AFL stadium thing. Uh, you can just about say for any AFL stadium, I reckon, maybe other than the, the couple in Tassie and like the Northern Territory ones, but I'll accept that. Um but, I, uh, <laughs> This is from a while ago, but just on roof lifting moments. Port Adelaide versus the Western Bulldogs, crucially at Adelaide Oval from round 8 this year on a Friday night. Uh, in the second quarter Buku Karmas had a set shot uh, on goal. Uh, never kicked a goal before. Buku
1: Karmas. 30 out directly in front. Strikes it nicely. Look at them get around. They come.
0: Now, you, you couldn't really say the crowd goes wild or anything like that. Not many Dogs fans there. It's very much uh, power fans overpowering the, uh, the Western Suburbs uh, residers from Melbourne. But the AFL.com.au little headline for this clip says, Buku brings down the house with first AFL goal. Gerald... That is not a bringing down the house situation.
2: That absolutely isn't. I was actually going to bring up the brings the house down sort of statement when I was saying maybe that would be more suitable for Charlie Cameron, but when hearing that audio, it sounded like there was about 35 people um, celebrating that goal. I don't know what house was brought down by that. Obviously, it wasn't a very structurally you know, strong one, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a terrible call
0: <laughs> Well, and you could hear the dogs players celebrating you, Like you could hear them getting around each other That is, what house they bring down? Is it like the, the straw house from the three little pigs or something That the wolf huffs and puffs? I don't know It's just, it's
1: just, it's just the kennel for the players and the coaching staff And that's about it
0: <laughs> now, Let's d- dive a bit deeper into this actually Hamish, can you ever bring the house down in an interstate game When you're on the road? Uh, depends on who's playing. Maybe if it's like a, a big club like at Collingwood
1: and they, they go to I'm sure they'll have quite a few fans there, but it's unlikely. Uh, actually, I'd probably say the one the one sort of spot where there tends to be an overwhelming amount of interstate supporters is uh, Metricon up on the yeah. Gold Coast, <laughs> where you look in the crowd and there's, say, 16,000 there, and 14,000 of those will be one of the big four team supporters. So maybe if there was ever a final to be played up there, it would be like a Dogs 2016 type of of thing because I think they brought their house down against GWS.
0: I don't think so. You don't? No. I think it's (laughs) – I I don't think you can bring down another person's house, another team's house. I
2: take that back. So you don't like the statement (laughs) at all or just when they're away from home?
0: No. Yeah, I think you have to be at home. Okay. Yeah, that's my view on it. What's yours?
2: I think it's just depending on how many people's there. Like, if it's a if it's a you know an MCG final and it's packed for both sides, you never know. Dom Sheed probably brought the house down in twenty eighteen, wouldn't you agree?
0: Mm, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> okay. I think look, agree to disagree. I think we've got to leave that one unresolved. Well, oh, actually, what about Melbourne versus Bulldogs last year on the grand final? Was the house ever brought down?
2: No, it was a very, very uh, tourist vibe about that game. To be honest, same too with yeah. the 2020 grand final. So glad that that's over.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but back back to the uh, Brisbane, Melbourne game from Friday night. There's when I play this. The, there's kind of two clips uh, merged into one here. So first little bit is about four minutes fifty to go. The Lions are up eighty to sixty six, and then after that. There's about two minutes 15 to go uh, in the last quarter, of course, and the Lions are up 86 to 73. So um, Melbourne's kind of surging back when this second little clip plays, but I'll play it for you now.
2: Cameron tries to get under. Out the back comes Bailey. Bailey
1: with superior speed. Runs in and kicks the sealer. They're up by 20. They're going to the prelim. Neil Bullen arches away. Long ball inside 50. Through comes Petty. Langdon outside of the boot. Melbourne still alive.
0: Now, Hamish, there's, some se- there's a serious, serious, serious mm. lack of coordination here for me between uh, Brian Taylor and James Brayshaw. So Zach Bailey kicks the goal to put <laughs> Brisbane 20 points up uh, with just under five minutes to go. Uh, Brian Taylor calls it a sealer. And then James Brayshaw, when Langdon kicks a goal to put Melbourne just seven points behind, says the Ds are still alive. So one person's in the wrong here, or maybe they're both in the wrong. Your views, please.
1: Well, uh, clearly BT is not a follower of Lethal's formula, the goal a minute (laughs)
0: formula, because 20 points
1: up with five minutes to go, there is plenty of time. And I think commentators often make the mistake of going way too early on big calls. Like I think we are talking about this a couple of weeks ago with the One last roll of the dice. I feel like commentators go way too early on that when there's maybe multiple rolls of the die left in the game. But um, I'd say JB's in the right and BT's in the wrong. Yeah, it felt like a real lack
2: of um, unity in the commentary box there. I think Brayshaw had every right to say that they're still in it. Yeah, disharmony. Seven points in it with a couple of minutes to go. But yeah, BT would have definitely been sweating in his chair a little bit knowing that he'd called the game over. In the end, he was right. But was that truly the sealer? Eventually it was, but it, it, it definitely wasn't 100% guaranteed at that time. So I think, yeah, loves a big call, Brian Taylor, but probably needed to just settle a little bit. They were probably one goal away from a sealer, I feel.
0: But can you have retrospective sealers, though? Like, Gerald, you're saying, uh, like, now that the final siren has gone, you're saying it is the sealer, but maybe it wasn't the sealer. I think the so. But can I think, you call it the sealer? I'm going gonna,
2: gonna to go to soccer here, but if, if a goal scored in the fifth minute and the game ends 1-0, was that not the retrospective winner?
0: Well, it's the winner, but it's not the sealer. Uh,
1: it doesn't seal the game with that. That's his true. Minutes, no, so no. If, you're right. i yeah. concede. I think looking back on the <laughs> thank you. the Brisbane game, I'd say <laughs> I'd say uh, Darcy Gardner's goal would be the uh, retrospective sealer from the top of the goal square. Daniel McStay so wasn't. Could you even say? Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, my bad. Daniel McStay. So can you even can you even say the one that put him twenty minutes up was close to being a sealer? I don't know. But well, agree to disagree.
0: I think the people, Hamish, you were in the stadium, as was I, uh, there were 24 minutes Mm -hmm. and 45 seconds on the count-up clock when Zach Bailey clicked that. So we could be forgiven for calling that the sealer in the moment because we don't know how long's left. But Brian Taylor, who has access to the countdown clocks and all the stats that he could ever dream of, he should absolutely be not calling it the sealer.
1: I want to ask you two boys a question, if that's right. When you're... When you're at the games and you've got the, the count-up clock, are you two checkers of the phone? Like, do you swipe down on AFL to see how long's left or do you just go with the flow oh, yeah. and look at the clock and try and guess how long the quarter's going to go for? For me personally, I like to just
2: be fully immersed in the game, but sometimes in a real nail-biter, I have to check. Or, you know, where I sit at the St Kilda games, there's a lot of old people around who always have the radio in their ears. So you normally get that <laughs> yes. sort of info anyway. They'll yell, they'll yell like, two minutes, guys. Mm. So... It's, um, it's sort of sometimes out of my hands. I, I do like the unknown, but sometimes I think the anxiety of it gets a bit much for me. So yeah. I'm, I'm a bit of both, really.
0: Mm. There's always one guy in the crowd who doesn't think uh, that anyone should, <laughs> wants to not know how long's left. Uh, bit of a word salad <laughs> of a sentence there. But there, there's always that one dude who just shouts out from the radio. If he's in row Z, mm. you make sure row A can hear it.
1: Well, he yep. just wants to make sure the players know
0: as well. <laughs> <laughs> He's a wannabe runner, isn't he? But um, for Hell, me, absolutely. personally, I, I really don't like the uh, countdown mm-hmm. clock at the game so much so that even on the mm-hmm. AFL app, I have it counting up. So wow. I don't want to even have the option of seeing it. <laughs> um, and like I'll tell the people wow, next wait. to me if they're listening on the radio, oh, don't tell me anything, don't tell me anything. Um, but I do, uh, they, they have that um, what, Kennedy five minute warning mm-hmm. now uh, during uh, all the quarters. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah, which uh, look, I don't hate it because it only appears once for maybe twenty seconds or so, and then you can kind of base stuff off that. Um, but that actually was <laughs> on the boundary when Zach Bailey kicked the goal. So maybe uh, us people in the ground, us folk in the ground, mm. knew should have known that that mm. was or was sorry wasn't in fact the sealer because it said four minutes fifty seven or something.
1: Mm. Bring back Channel 10's five minute warning. Oh, I think yeah. it's the consensus here.
0: Yeah, do, do you reckon the Queen could have done with a five-minute warning to maybe plan her last <laughs> oh. words very, very well on uh, the earliest hour for Friday?
1: Maybe her family could have done with one, so they could have rushed back to Balmoral a bit quicker. But. That's probably a bit (laughs) insensitive to talk about on a footy podcast, so we'll move on, I reckon.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it's public information whether their family rocked up to Balmoral after the final siren had sounded or if it was just really deep into time on. But, look, uh, I'm sure, uh, yeah, we'll we'll keep the Royal Family, uh, their private matters private because they are a very, very private family. Uh, They don't like to be Mm. in the news at all. And we'll move on to uh, Colin... Yeah, respectful That's what we're all about here at the Footy Dictionary And speaking of respectful, Collingwood Collingwood versus the Fremantle Dockers uh, This one was on Saturday night, of course This is right at the start, this little clip I'm going to play at, And I'll just say, I don't mind it Mason Cox, wedged between a couple of Dockers Had the height advantage, normally does Deep ball, check. Gillivan, there'll be some noise
1: Kicks it, puts it in the back of the net Pies her away
0: Gerald, it was, it was a soccer goal off the ground, back of the net. You were a fan? It was a soccer goal, Harper. I'm not sure if I'm a fan of that. Normally,
2: you hear sort of a soccer commentary. You hear, like, oh, he, he does the Ronaldo or something when there's like a World Cup near or the Asian Cup or something like that. So, to call it middle of September, when <laughs> as far as I know, there's no real big football uh, moments coming up, it was a strange call. Um, but uh, at the same time, I, I like a bit of a mix-up. Hamish McLaughlin is generally, for me, a bit of a boring commentator, so I, I thought that was a bit
0: mm. out of character of him. And I didn't mind it. Uh, can I just pull you up on something very, very quickly there? You sure can. Asian Cup. I don't think any commentators are preferring to soccer cliches and metaphors during the Asian Cup. Oh, well, I don't know. Hey,
1: but we won it, though, so never forget.
0: <laughs> we won, hey, but, sorry, we won it in January. And so they'd have to be talking about the Asian Cup two months after it had finished, if, if they were talking about it during a footy game. Could be the AFLW. Got fever or something. But
2: anyway, I was just saying something like the Asian Cup, but maybe not specifically mm, yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, I think it would have to be the only situation where they could be uh, like he's pulled out of Ronaldo would be during the World Cup, or well, you could say pull out Ronaldo at any time, but channeling his World Cup dreams or something, mm. you could only say that during the World Cup. Yep. like you couldn't say that mm. during any other uh, soccer footballing event.
1: Is this our uh, is this our obligatory Jack Inman talk on a footy program? Is it just to yeah. bring him up once a week? But filled the quote. Yeah, we've ticked that box uh, I don't mind it actually I I think without watching the footage You get an idea of what's happened You socket it and it's gone through um, And then the crowd noise So I don't mind it, I, I say
0: play on Well personally actually I first heard that on a podcast And I didn't know that he had socketed it in um, And the Haymes Schmuck clock say that Didn't make it click in my head for me That yeah. Jack Ginnifer socketed it in, but then I watched it and I was like, "Ah, oh, that does make sense." So maybe I'm just in the minority of idiots who it didn't click with. But mm, he's uh,
1: speaking to a football TV watching audience, so they can see what's happened. Whereas if you only exactly. get the audio, maybe it's not as suitable for radio. But
0: anyway, moving on. Mm, exactly. Now this isn't radio or TV. This is a podcast, the Footyology podcast, uh, one of our personal favourites here at the Footy Dictionary. Rowan Connolly. And the guy speaking here is Robert Shaw, talking about Collingwood versus Fremantle. Penderbury was the glue that put this all together. He was the orchestra. Like um, uh, DeGoey was on
1: the lead guitar, right? Chris was on bass guitar, but out the front on drums, you had the Charlie Watts of the Collingwood team. Just... (laughs) Just organising it, keeping it in rhythm, keeping the tempo going, controlling Richards and Jagger, right?
0: Yeah. yeah. And just keeping, he was superb. Subtle movements, quick hands, releasing players. He was superb. He's about as old as Charlie Watts, too, in uh, football terms these days, Pendles. Absolutely nailing <laughs> their target audience with the, the Rolling Stones chat there. But, Gerald, you, you're shaking your head. You've got your head in your hands because Robert Shaw – Well, look, it's a long-winded metaphor, but and he's flip-flopping a bit, so he's – Calling Pendlebury the orchestra, and then he's calling Pendlebury the drums. So for you, is mm. he more orchestra, or is he more drums? Well, for what, me, it's Roland
2: Connolly's, Connolly's show, and to allow Robert Shaw to put that dribble on for probably 30, 40 seconds without <laughs> pulling him up and just saying, Robert, it's a game of football, mate, just relax, it was unbelievable for me. I don't know, I think if, if I was having to choose, I'd say Pendlebury probably is the conductor of the orchestra. Yeah, you know, he's plenty of time. He's got the swift movements. But I don't really want to be quoted saying any of that stuff because I think it's ridiculous. It's not that deep. Uh, Robert Shaw, mm. it's a game of football,
0: mate. Uh, well, I, personally, I do, I do quite like a, a metaphor, a little like analogy type thing. Uh, I didn't mind it. But the, my big issue was that he wasn't calling Pendlebury the conductor. He called Pendlebury the orchestra. You could say Pendlebury's the conductor, mm. but he's, he's not the orchestra um, because the orchestra's is the kind of star of the show It's what the people go for, to see the orchestra um, They don't go to see the conductor Yet he's keeping in time, keeping in the tempo And then he kind of fixed that mistake Called Pendlebury the drums uh, The the Charlie Watts, I think it was uh, And yeah, personally, I, I, I quite like that uh, I like the kind of music, footy uh, analogy Hamish?
1: Uh, yeah, that was my initial thought uh, with the drummer and the orchestra You can't be the whole of the orchestra I don't imagine But um, I, I do like the drummer analogy Keeping the tempo um, But yeah, I wouldn't go with it again I think I think
0: you'd probably just put that one away Lead guitar What characteristics does a lead guitar footy player have?
2: <laughs> probably a bit of rock star energy I would have thought A bit of You know, mm. that's why I don't mind it for Dugowie. Um I Loves a solo I'm sure you could fit Jack Inivan in there somewhere. Um, but uh, yeah, hard hard to say, Harper. I really haven't put my instruments in football players. Uh, so I haven't associated them too much so far. <laughs> You've bamboozled
1: us.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I've been trying to think about it as well. But lead singer is where I'm struggling. Like, what, what's the characteristics of a lead singer? Maybe it's too human to. Uh, associated with a proper human and a proper footy player. Maybe. I don't know. But um, another one from the Footyology podcast, actually. We'll go back to back, two in a row. Uh, this is Rowan Connolly. He's talking about the potential grand final matchups. We're down to four teams now, so uh, there are, aren't that many possible matchups left. And this one is talking about the possibility of Collingwood versus Brisbane in the big dance. Collingwood and Brisbane, um, I guess, would be the Pies' chance to atone for the grand final defeats of uh, o2 and o3 back in the Mick Malthouse days. Hamish, <laughs> how recently does an event oh. have to have taken place for a team to, to be able to, in Ron Connolly's words, atone for it?
1: That's, that's got to be tongue-in-cheek, doesn't it? I'd say... Nah. I, 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 I... I'll ask you this, what percentage of the players have to have played to atone their previous defense? The Just what Yeah, I'd say who who at Collingwood is still there after 0-2 and 0-3 That's what Maybe I Maybe the thinking. trainer.
2: Maybe the boots man or
1: something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, lady. <laughs> well, Buckley left last year, so not even Buckley can be
0: there. Yeah, well, would, if Buckley, so Buckley, if he was the coach, if Collingwood played Brisbane in the grand final last year when Buckley was still coach, would that have been atoning? Maybe atoning on a personal that's front. That's more of a yeah, personal matter for
1: Buckley, yeah. yeah. It'd be Buckley mm. atoning, but not, not Collingwood as a whole. Maybe for oh. their supporter base, but not really. It's 20 years in the past. The whole thing confused so, me.
2: Sorry, Harper. Um because to also, in the last 10 years or 10, 11 years ago, they played Geelong in a grand final. So I feel like that would be more recent to atone it. And also, like yeah what is the statute of limitation on when you can get revenge for a grand final? I think it's somewhere a bit less than 20 years, especially when you've lost two more grand finals since and you've also won a premiership. I feel like all hatred must be forgiven when you, when you win a flag as a St. Kilda supporter. I don't know. And I still do dislike Geelong and Collingwood because of those grand finals. But I feel like for, for Collingwood, once you get one, you can sort of just reset
1: and, and start to start to learn to love mm. again. But, I think yeah. if they were playing West Coast, they'd be atoning that defeat for sure. But if they if they were playing, even if Geelong, that's that's even a big call to say they'd be atoning that one 12 years on or 11 years
0: well, Frio played Hawthorne in, I think, 2013, I think it was. If Frio played Hawthorne this year in the grand final, would Freo be trying to atone?
1: That's borderline, I think. I'd, I'd say no. But maybe. Well, there's a few players that would still be on the list. Mundy, Fife, Walters, I think. So maybe, but not quite.
0: Mm-mm. Yeah, it's definitely a... Um... <laughs> I think Gerald's right. Like, the factors that come into it are have you played any grand finals since? Have you won any grand finals since? How many players are left on the list? And I just don't think it ticks any boxes, this one. And it's definitely not tongue in cheek, I don't think, from Rowan Connolly. He could, like, I could feasibly see Rowan Connolly saying, uh, the Kilda's out to atone for the 19, sorry, Collingwood's out to atone for the 1966 <laughs> defeat against the Kilda in the grand final <laughs> Like I could absolutely picture that as something Rowan Connolly would say He's
1: got Barry Breen, Barry Breen plastered up on <laughs> his wall mm. with a dartboard just throwing darts <laughs> at him every day <laughs>
0: He just loves to like, sprinkle a little knowledge of his history just flex his knowledge of uh, years <laughs> gone by. It does Rowan Connolly. Uh, he's a great, great footy mind, knows his stuff, but he, he loves to show it off. But um, maybe moving <laughs> off the men's stuff now, uh, AFLW Hamish, uh, the Eagles versus the Bombers. This one was in Perth. And another clip from the AFL media uh, website. So the... Bombers kick the first two goals of the game in the first four minutes or so. And the headline for the clip, Bombers bombard Eagles early with two beauties. Hamish, is two goals in the first four minutes enough? Is it adequate to call it a bombardment? Or is it? Is I it kind ask. of, yeah, maybe overindulging in the so. alliteration?
1: Uh, I'd say, I'd suggest so. Uh, I don't think that's a bombardment by any sense, and my issue with it was, when I watched the highlights clip, was they showed, as part of the the 56-second package, they showed two inside 50s that resulted in no scores as part of the highlights, um, just to accentuate the bombardment. But I, can you call that a bombardment? I don't know. I, I think they did get
2: a little bit caught up in the alliteration of it, all the bombers, bombardment, of the beauties. It's almost just forcing it a little bit. <laughs> two goals isn't necessarily a bombardment, um, but I guess in a lower-scoring match, two goals is worth quite a lot. But it is to a call style. them beauties as well, I feel was a little bit far-fetched, especially when they were both sort of just set shots from within range directly in front. Um, maybe a bit of an oversight from the AFL social media team.
0: Well, for me, it's got to be three goals plus to call it a bombardment or... like. A real lack of goals, but you're just attacking and attacking and attacking over an extended period of time, but you haven't quite put the um, scores on the board to show for it. But two goals in four minutes, absolutely not a bombardment for me. Caught up in the alliteration, whoever put that little headline on. And also, just a second question from this, we'll double dip. Um, There are two goals. So one of them was from Steph Wales, 45 out, long, long range, uh, it's just a, a slight angle, set shot. And then the second one, Paige Scott, from about 30 out, pretty much directly in front, not beauties. Not beauties, are they, Gerald?
2: No, I agree. Definitely not beauties. A little bit a little bit basic. For a beauty, I would expect maybe um, a torp from 55 or a snap from the boundary, something to really get me out of my seat. Those are the sort of goals you see every day, so... Yeah, a bit a bit much there.
0: Is it a torp from fifty five a beauty for you for sure, or is it because that's like almost brute force for me? That's it, more yeah. than a
1: that's more yeah. than a beauty.
0: Well, uh, mm. yeah, for me a beauty is like a real display of uh, kind of finesse and uh, okay. a small forward kicks a lot of beauties. I don't think tall forwards kick many beauties.
2: Yeah, that's that's fair enough. Maybe uh, what about like a nice passage of play like a, a run and five bounces would that be a beauty
0: oh I don't, I don't uh, look may, you, maybe maybe I was wrong about the tall forward beauty thing before I'm reassessing that now but passage of play being beauties okay. no nah, not for me Hamish
1: uh, no I'll let it slide oh, I don't mind it
0: for passage of play a beauty hmm I think it can be. Well, think about was it Matthew
2: White against Richmond that time? The Port Adelaide player took run ninety meters and almost kicked a goal. And you're going to tell him that that wouldn't have been a beauty if he had been able to kick it. That's a little mm. bit rude, Hopper.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. So what? So the beauty you're describing in that Matthew White thing is it's, it's just running and bouncing. That's that's the beauty. Gliding through down the
2: wing of of the MCG or, or whatever it was. I, I think anything that would be nominated as a goal of the year contender would should be a beauty. You only get three of them a week.
0: Well, yeah, but he, he didn't kick it, so
2: it's. He didn't kick it, but if he had have kicked it, I'm asking you, would that have been a beauty given oh. that he ran, you know, 100 metres with the ball?
0: Oh, right, yeah, it would have been a beauty for sure,
2: yeah, but like. He or is didn't, it all about so... the kick? Or is it about maybe the build up of the kick? I think he missed. He hit the post or something. It's what.
0: Mm, well. If, like, if you're a commentator and you're trying to work beauty into that a description of Matthew White's running potential goal there, how are you working in beauty?
2: Yeah, no. Well, in the commentary, you probably would. I'd probably say something more like, "What a run from Matthew White!" But if I was headlining a, a video such as the Essendon one, I, I might go for you know a beautiful
1: goal or something like that. But um, uh, just to confirm. It was the 2014 AFL goal of the year. Oh, he did kick it. Uh, oh, and he oh, yeah, I did kick and it. And he ran more, oh, than, okay. more than 70 metres and burned off yeah, two opponents. Yeah, okay. That's what I process. was thinking of. Sorry. I, from memory, it was like a bit of a, a, a helicopter punt from about 45. So maybe on that terms, you couldn't call it a beauty if the, the drop punt didn't spin correctly. Mm-hmm. But it went through and he ran a way, fair way. So I'm Can't
2: find up. the beauty in a bit of the, the chaos of it all. <laughs>
1: Well, I can, (laughs) but I don't
0: know about Harper. (laughs) Yeah, I think it heavily, heavily depends on the finish. Um, As beautiful as the kind of lead-up can be, it really depends on how it comes off the boot. Um, So I think almost all goals from the boundary are beauties, personally. And I, t- I do take back what I said before about long bombs not necessarily being beauties. I, can, I think you can say that was a beauty off the boot, but not as much as the real displays of skill and craft as opposed to the real power that is associated with those long goals from tall forwards. But uh, unless we've got any anything else to say on that, can we move on? Let's okay, to the real footy podcast now, another one of our favourites. So this is uh, Caroline Wilson. They're talking about uh, why Adam Simpson isn't the greatest candidate for the Essen Job Caro's view on it, and uh, yeah, here she is. I don't mean to be insulting, I really like Adam Simpson, but you wouldn't say he's as well credentialed at the moment as I mean look well, at Sco- flag. With... Yeah, it was a while ago now. Well, it was four yeah, years yeah. ago. They're a mess. They're a mess, that footy <laughs> club. Okay. So, a couple of bits to break down here. Hamish, first one, uh, not well-credentialed. She was about to compare him to someone not as well-credentialed as and then didn't quite get it out. So, Adam Simpson, won a premiership four years ago. Is he well-credentialed?
1: I would have thought so. My just quick quick question, who is she calling a mess? Is she calling Essendon a mess West Coast. or is she calling West Coast a mess?
0: Uh, right. okay. West Coast, I think. Yeah.
1: I guess Definitely. they both fall in the same category. Um, but I guess four, y- four years ago, cut them in a bit of slack. Like, how much? How much is the coach involved with list management? Because I'd say the problem with West Coast is they've they've peaked. They've had a lot of older players, and now they need to rejuvenate their list. But how much is that? How much of that is the coach's fault for their performance, and how much of it falls on the list profile? I think that's very harsh on Adam Simpson.
0: For me, if you're well credentialed, it just comes down to kind of what you'd put on your kind of CV and your little coaching highlights package. And if a premiership's in there, that's automatically well credentialed. Gerald?
2: Yeah, I agree. It's it's not as if it happened 15 years ago, too, or he was gifted some unbelievable list. Like he went there when they Mm. were going all right. He's taken them to pretty much final series every year except for the last couple. I think. I don't know who she was going to compare him to. Maybe Alistair Clarkson, which I think she could have been saying, given that Essendon were looking for him. But then she quickly sort of back, you know, retreated and took it back. So, um, yeah, a bit harsh from Carrie there, which she's, she's known to be. So, wow.
0: Well, no what, what about Mark Choco Williams? He, he coached one premiership, one AFL premiership in 2004. Is he well credentialed, Hamish?
1: Uh well I think he's done a lot for Werribee Football Club. Just is he, is he a well credentialed AFL coach? I'd say so because he's still is still an assistant at Melbourne now and very highly rated at that. Um, mm. I'd say he still is. He's got a premiership. He's an assistant premiership coach. He coached Werribee not to a flag, but he brought him back from the doldrums. I think I'd say he's very well credentialed. And uh, personally, I like to see him back in the AFL so he can wear a suit to a game, like we were discussing last week.
0: Yeah, uh, I think absolutely. Premiership just can almost override anything else in making your credentials uh, good. But uh, they also spoke about, uh, well, (laughs) in that same little snippet there, uh, Caroline Wilson said it was a while ago, the Premiership, 2018. Gerald, is 2018 a while ago?
2: Or ask Collingwood fans if that feels like it was a while ago because I don't think that they would agree with Caro there. And what we've had three premierships since then, it's, it's yeah, that's I wouldn't say that's a while ago. I think 10 years maybe you'd start talking about it being a
1: while ago. I think she's pushing it there, Caro.
0: I, I think uh, there's the same coach, This it's almost uh, similar to what was it? Our um, atonement thing, but the because West Coast have a Fairly similar list. They've still got lots of premiership players on that list and Adam Simpson's still there. Probably lots of the administration's still there. Everyone can remember it. So, yeah, absolutely not a while ago for me. But move on to uh, Todd Goldstein signing a new deal with the North Melbourne Football Club. He's 34 years old, one-year contract extension and North Melbourne Social's shin boner for life. (laughs) Is full life applicable for a one-year deal, Hamish?
1: Uh <laughs> a good friend Connor sent this in. By the way, I should just shout out to Connor. But uh, mm, thirty-four years old. I get. I he's probably going to be around for one year longer. So I get the premise of the uh, the statement. But one year deal. I, I I don't know about it. I think that's already assumed with the one year
0: deal. Look, Joe. Before you come in here, I'll just say that I'm kind of across the board across the board not a huge fan of for life because if it is you're literally going to be a root for life or till the end of your career i think it's too obvious to be pointed out and especially if it's just a one year extension like this and if let's say a josh kelly or something is signing a 10 year deal or 7 year deal or whatever at gws i don't think you can say for life um uh, in that situation either because you can't take it to the bank that he will be there for the rest of his career as we've seen with lots and lots of players exploring trades before their contracts run up like look at Brodie Grundy didn't he sign a massive deal with Collingwood and he looks to be off to Melbourne right Jill Yeah I
2: agree firstly on Goldstein I think with one year left it's, it's pretty much assumed so while it's technically true that he'll be a rue for life it's a little bit it's, a, it's almost a must win finals game type unnecessary you know statement yeah. pointy end of the season yeah exactly right in general with the insert club for life statement i, I don't really love it either like sometimes I, I don't think it really takes them to the end of their career think about buddy signing nine years that was supposed to be for life but he'll probably be running around in brisbane next year and i remember Cornelio when he signed for gws they called it for life it was a seven-year deal I'm not entirely convinced that his career will be over after those seven years. So, what if he decides that he wants to go and play at a second club? You know what? I think uh, it's yeah, it's a very current statement when there's just so much to play out in the in the years that, that contract's going to actually take place. Mm. It's a bit silly.
0: Mm, it's a real recent phenomenon for me. It almost comes out of the whole trade radio, try whipping people up into a frenzy with. Everything, making everything as headliney as it can possibly be. And, well, Trade Radio actually started today, speaking of. Uh, yes. <laughs> before the preliminary finals. That's too early, surely. That's got to be too early. Disagree. Hard disagree <laughs> because
2: you've got 14 clubs who are hanging out for to hear something about their side. 14 club, like fans, clubs, sorry, 14 supporter bases, sorry, that are just ready for next year, ready to hear about who they're going to pick up. So... um. For me, I don't mind it. Um, what I'm keen to hear about is whether or not they're going to have the exact same ads for another year. Um, but so that's that's always my favourite part.
0: <laughs> but, but Gerald, you's, you've also got fans of 14 clubs who probably, uh, the large majority of them are, are going to be neutrals watching the like big stage games, last three games of the season. Surely you should just be like putting all your money into promoting that rather than trade radio which I think could be uh, kind of compressed into just the period surrounding the uh, what 10 week trade period trade window
2: I think so but at ten, the, same ten t- day, sorry. T- the same time people are going to watch those finals no matter what but maybe I'll be a little bit more excited about my football if I if, you know in the finals coming up if I know True. this player's coming to my club next year or whatnot and just in general I think I could sit through 8 hours of trade radio every day for 3 months so I, I don't mind a little <laughs> bit of extra trade radio um, at all.
0: <laughs> well, what what do you like about Trade Radio in particular? Well, what part of it? Because it is a real, like, highly scrutinized, you love it or hate it. I like the unknown
2: of some of the things. I, I like the callers that come in with some ridiculous stuff and the way that the experts knock them back. Mm. Um, I like how every year is apparently Terry Wallace's last year and he just keeps on seeming to, to come back. I like <laughs> the ads, even though they're very repetitive. There's something about it. It's, it's almost comforting. Um, and then when they finally get to that bit of news, it's always speculative stuff. I kind of hate it, but I also can't not listen to it. It's one of those things, you know, I just, it's, I'm just ready for it every year. So uh, I,
1: f- yeah. I feel like us three can all agree that it's, it's more entertaining where, when you're a Carlton or a St Kilda or an Essendon fan than it is if you're a Richmond fan because uh, I've spent a lot of years listening to it and <laughs> I've got a lot to do to listen to it when you're, when you're finishing last and looking to trade in big names every year. But uh, yeah, I'm a big fan. But I don't know about starting before the grand final.
0: Uh, and just back on Todd Goldstein for one second. Both of you, yes or no, there's a ad running on uh, nmfc.com.au at the moment. Just a little image in all their articles. It says, join Todd Goldstein in putting pen to paper and become a Kangaroos member today. Gerald, do you like it?
2: I actually do like that. I love when clubs sort of make you really feel a part of the... The team, like the Crows running their nineteenth man thing a few years ago, a little bit over the top. I think this is nice, nice and subtle. We'll get North Melbourne fans back on board to watch uh, Todd Goldstein run around for another year. If that's if that's their
1: angle and their campaign, I'm all for it. I just want to quickly ask with the Adelaide thing, uh, can you call it the 19th man or can it has to be, does it have to be the 23rd man or even the 24th, 20, 24th now, man? Yeah. yeah. I, I always yeah.
2: thought it was a bit strange because yeah, you, you got what about those four poor blokes named on the bench? You, you're, yeah. you're above them apparently as a member of the club. But maybe that, that it makes mm. you feel a bit more
0: special, but I don't know. Well, I think the four players on the bench aren't directly having an impact on the game when they're on the bench. Right, but but the fans can True. have an impact on the game and they are the 19th kind of influence for that team. Mm. Yeah, good call. Uh, yeah, it's up but... for debate. <laughs> what, what do you think, Hamish?
1: Uh, I'm 50-50, I think. I get what you're saying about the... Because uh, they're not actually on the f- field, the four other players, so it's almost like you got an extra man on the field at all times. But I think that sort of uh, discriminates the other four or five on the bench. But anyway...
0: Well, you say twelfth man in soccer, don't you? There's like eleven on the field. I know. I get it's That's not true. a like there's capped rotations in that, but mm. yeah, disagree with you, Hamish. And we'll, uh, look, we we're coming to the end now. We spoke about kind of lower level footy at the start, and we'll talk about it at the end very briefly. This is a tweet from Paul Amy three seven five on Twitter, uh, talking about the JJ Liston Trophy. The of course the VFL's equivalent of the Brownlow, and he says. And it's Werribee champion Tommy Gribble's J.J. Liston trophy. He goes back-to-back, but three years apart. He won in 2019, he won in 2022. Hamish, I'm fine with back-to-back here, are you? 2020 and 2021, I'm, of course, per- called off.
1: Yeah, I'm perfectly fine with that, uh, because he has. And it well, ticks all the boxes for me. Joe.
2: Yeah, I'm happy with that. It's not as if he's like missed the last two years with injury or something, and now he's won his second in the years he's played. Like he's he's won all that that he's won two in a row that he's been able to win. So I'm I'm pretty happy with that.
0: Before we go, actually, the Brownlow is going to be coming up on Sunday night this year because. Uh yeah, they didn't really want to go head-to-head with the Queen's funeral. I don't think you have to put the Brownlow at 7 mate or something like that. But, uh, anyway, Brownlow, Sunday night. So, Hamish, just before we go, is there anything you'd like to say about the AFL's night of nights? Ah, uh, is there? I don't know. Is
1: there anything I'd like to say? It's going to be a, a long and boring night, that's for sure. Uh, but you can bet your bottom dollar on it that I'll probably watch it from start to finish. You're not a fan of the Brownlow, Hamish? It's <laughs> <Is> my... <laughs> Uh, I don't mind it actually, but it's just a it's a long night. But once they get into the counting, it's alright. I just get sick of them doing like uh, two rounds at a time, and then they go into yeah. a handbrake break or something like that. Like, um, I wish they'd just rattle them off a bit quicker, and then maybe stop, and then I don't know. But I I don't mind it. I think it's I think it's entertaining, and I do like the old uh, when they when they read out the votes and make it a bit suspenseful, like the Geelong G. Ablet three votes. I'll get around that. But uh, apart from that, it's a bit of a boring night.
0: Uh, G Lynch, your thoughts?
2: <laughs> um, obviously, in the past, it's been Bruce McAvaney sort of doing the interviewing and stuff. Last year was it Hamish McLaughlin? Do you think you'll get the job again? It was Basil? Wasn't it? Oh, was it? Oh, it was. It was which in which was in Perth, so definitely yeah. won't be. It definitely won't be him you'd hope. Um Big Bad Baz. So uh yeah, who do you think gets the job this year? I think for me, I'm I'm predicting James Brayshaw because as much as I'd love to see Brian Taylor, I think they're probably a bit worried about what he'd say, you know, on live TV. So Brayshaw's probably my, my bet, my mm. pick though. Um I don't know, actually. Wouldn't mind seeing Huddle or something.
1: Yeah, I'd choose I'd love to see Huddle.
0: Oh, it's Hamish McLaughlin for me, absolutely. Because James Brayshaw is way yeah. too triple M, way too blokey bloke. Um, so she yells and you need a bit, a bit much, of class. You need an element of class. Hamish McLaughlin, almost as um, much a part of a boys' club as anyone can possibly be the brother of the, <laughs> the head of the AFL, it has to be Hamish McLaughlin.
1: I'm tipping Daisy Pearce a bit of floor work as well, I reckon. Should we, oh. should we, she might be one of the... One of the Channel 17 roaming around the floor and interviewing people over their table. Uh, a little bit less creepily than uh, what Bruce did back <laughs> in the day. <laughs> the Brendan Favola of 2022? If Collingwood goes
2: out this weekend, Jordan Go is paying a dollar $1.06 to say something stupid on live TV. I think we can all agree on that. Um, if not, though. I don't know Tom Papley. If they lose, I think is a chance as well. Seems like a bit of a of a sesh gremlin.
0: So it's a good
1: <laughs> show. Interesting.
0: Uh, look, I think boys, we'll leave it there. We ha- we have been going while. We're uh, around the hour mark now. So thank you very much again, Gerald. Thanks for your debut. It was absolutely yes. huge performance this week from you. Don't think you'll be dropped to the seconds anytime soon. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, sounds good. As just as the
2: last little bit of uh, talk, Ben Long just requested a trade to. Uh, The Mm. Gold Coast After being heavily rumoured with North Melbourne The headline that the AFL runs with Heading North Saints Defender Requested Trade That's very interesting uh, reading isn't it Really Mm. when I first saw it I thought Oh he's gone to North Like I'd heard he had been received a big offer And apparently he's off to the Gold Coast Which I'm a little bit upset about But life goes on Uh, But yeah
0: anyway Been a pleasure guys Thanks for having me (laughs) Good note to end on Ben Longchat Hamish anything else from you? (laughs) Uh, nothing from me uh, goodbye Ben Long
1: I suppose and goodbye everyone else <laughs> nah thank you it's been fun Once well, again.
0: same time next week guys catch you soon
1: sounds good see ya see you guys